The 2022 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2024. If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote web domain from GoDaddy.com. Get yours now. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Battlegrounds with your host Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. We have another lineup of fantastic guests for you. And make sure you you download and and get a hold of our podcast-only segment because those are getting hot. We've got Kylie's Corner leading that off. Fantastic stuff in there for you folks today. Our first guest is going to be John Pudner. He was executive director from 2015 to 2021 of Take Back Our Republic and compiled a perfect record of five statewide referenda wins in different states. Uh, he is one of the only folks who's ever knocked out a uh, actually majority leader in Congress. I think he's the only person. Only person, which is pretty astounding. And he's just got a fantastic background, uh, spent 25 years running Republican political campaigns, including the faith, faith-based faith turnout in 16 states for George W. Bush. Uh, he has directed the strategy for Republican Dave Bratt's historic primary upset we just referenced of Republican Majority Leader Eric Cantor. And in the same period, this is this is astounding, Chuck, as someone who's dealt with zoning and planning type mm-hmm. issues. Um, he also won 185 out of 202 local zoning referenda, which as someone who's dealt with that a lot, John, you're you're my hero. John, what, John, what's the key to winning those zoning battles when you well, run a campaign? Well, 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 some of them are townships, so they're literally you're talking about 500 voters. So you can knock on every door in 10 of them at a time. So that it's often is just doors. It was always doors and phones, which is what we like to do. But what what is a key message when you do those zoning type of campaigns? I mean, there's a lot of people that listen, and you know, th- those elections are more common than people think. And, and they, more and, contentious. And more contentious all the time. We have a lot of contentious issues right now about zoning in the Phoenix metro area. It's a huge thing. So, so if you're on the anti-side traffic, if, if you have a traffic issue, that's the winner. You know, <laughs> if you can tell people it's going to take you 40 minutes to get to the interstate instead of five, you've got a very good issue. <laughs> that you, hits them home. You, you know, John, you, you just confirmed one of my thesis in, in, with the city of Phoenix in dealing with zoning cases is that opposition to every single case can be broken down to one thing. More people on the road in front of me. Yes. That's very true. You got it. You nailed it. John, you, you were leading the, the faith-based effort for George Bush's 43 re-election. Um, when Dobbs' decision came out, Sam and I are on a a twi- a texting thread with a bunch of consultants and I just piped up because I had done a lot of voter registration the past years including Florida where we overtook Democrats and so I did a lot with the the religious faith-based community I said Sam remembers like this is bad for us and I got like, no 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 we've got these they don't exist they're paper tigers you, and, you're talking specifically yeah. about the uh, pro-life, pro-life, group, the pro-life groups, the pro-life groups, yeah, and even a lot of the evangelical churches. I said they're just not going to do what needs to be done to counter what the left's going to do. Whether it's you know, I understand they're not going to have the money to counter it, but they don't even put the people into it. Am I am I being overly harsh on this, or have you seen a change? I'd be harsher, Chuck. They raise a lot of money; they just don't spend it so, on it. So, have you seen a change advocacy. in their ability to get things done from say 2004 when you led the faith-based effort to today? Because I just think part of this problem is there is no ground troops to protect our candidates. 
What are your thoughts? You've got it right. I'm, I'm probably not quite as harsh as because I see a couple little beachheads where things are still happening, but but it's depressing. I mean, it's the issue I got into politics on years ago as a youth. And to see, you know, evangelical turnout the lowest of any segment by by 2020, you know, and you can argue about Trump's personality or whatever, but, you know, he delivered three judges and then had barely 50 percent of evangelicals voted in 2020. So um, it's discouraging. I think there are a couple of good groups. I mean, my old boss from that that real, you know, Ralph Reed, I think, has a good one going with faith and freedom that is doing some building. There's a former employee, Cole Musio, building a front line in Georgia. So I can pick out these specific cases, but overall, it's incredibly flat for what's been accomplished. Yeah, and, it, and they just don't have the financial resources to compete with what they're getting from millionaires, hedge funds on the East Coast, West Coast, and so forth. It's I, I just, I think this is an issue we're just going to lose on. And people are going to say, well, it's all about principle. Well, all due respect, principle also means freedom of religion. It means Second yes. Amendment. It means First Amendment. And they just don't understand that this has a domino effect if you're not willing to go and win on this issue and do what it takes to win it because you're electing people then. Because, you know, for example, we just talked about the state senator in Virginia who has her little, um, you know. We will sex- be talking in the, in the podcast. Yeah, yeah, in the podcast. But, you know, she had that little issue out there. And so she's trying to make it about abortion now. Right. You know, and it's 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 like it's it moves what How, you you do statistics. How much does abortion move people? It, it, it was tough. Uh, what we saw last year was twenty nine percent voted with abortion as their primary issue, and that was twenty three percent voted because they're pro choice. Six percent because they're pro life. I mean, it was destruction. And then you add to that just the lack of understanding of how Dodge changed things. It, you've got to make a rape and incest exception. I mean, you just start with that. I mean, there's no longer viable, no exception that can win. And, um, you know, there was a, a pastor in Wisconsin, type race, who as soon as that exception was made, hit his 30,000 with something saying, well, don't vote for either candidate. They're both murderers now. One makes a rape and incest exception. One is that's, abortion until birth. I mean, you can't win if that's the backdrop. That's one of the points that I was going to bring up, John and Chuck, is that here in Arizona, we have the and I'll call them out on this by name. The Center for Arizona Policy is the leading pro-life group in the state. They raise a lot of money. They put out a candidate survey where they don't even give you the option to say, I mean, they, they are very clear that they will not you know, give you their paper endorsement if you are for those exceptions. It is the first place every single Democrat in this state goes to make an attack ad against their Republican opponent on that one point. And they post this thing out there online and they send it around the state and it crushes our candidates. And they don't do anything to fight back and support those candidates. And they are costing us seats year after year, cycle after cycle. And it's massively worse since Dodds. And we're not Alabama. No. I mean, so there's just not there's not that evangelical religious well, there, tide here in Arizona. There, there was a, a thing that came out. Arizona is actually one of the least religious states yeah. in the country. It's more of a libertarian bent than anything else. Yep. That's the religion here. John, you were um, the chief strategist, I believe, for um, when <laughs> when you beat Eric Cantor. He was the majority yes. leader in 2014. What did you see in that campaign that you were able to say? that mirrors what Donald Trump did in 16. Was that, was that the beginning of something there? And, and then my second question to you after that is, 
I believe Congressman Pratt lost a year later or two, right? Election or two later? He, he did have one real act. Yeah, I wasn't working with that, but so, he did get one real Do we sometimes do races like this? I mean, look, this is a this is a notch on your, your belt, right? But do you look back and say, and I believe that seat has been Democrat since. Is that true? Uh, yes, except for one more term. So, yeah. so I want to talk, I want to first talk about the signs for Donald Trump, and the second of all, do conservatives need to understand more of the districts what can stay there and get done long term versus a one and out? But let's first start with uh, the congressman, and was that a sign, an opening for the populism of Donald Trump? It really was a precursor. Um, I I took in my first little poll results to Dave Brad and said, "Great news," and he said, "How do the polls look?" I said. Great, we're losing sixty-six to eight, which he didn't think was good news. <laughs> I said, but my next question is, do you want someone who's well connected and get things done for the district, or do you want someone who'll stand up for conservative principles against leadership? And we won that one seventy-two to something. So I said, we have the issue. You know, this is a very simple message. Say view canners out of touch, and you know, we don't need a lot of money to pound that. We had two hundred people knocking on doors for free. I mean, that, I don't know if that's happened since then. So you know, we can get it. Out. So the interesting thing is the election night as it rolled in, one of my first calls was from Steve Bannon and Bannon wanted to know how we'd done it, how we mm. pulled it off. And he said at the end, I'm going to elect a president same way. <laughs> I said, who do you have in mind? <laughs> and his first answer was actually, said, well, I've got two. I think we'll do it. He said, Sarah Palin. I said, Steve, Sarah Palin will never win another race in her life. I mean, she's a great leader, a lot of things. She's got a 65% on fave in Alaska. I mean, she just, she can't win a race. And he said, well, my other one's Donald Trump. <laughs> of course, my question then was, is he even conservative? Like, are you serious? <laughs> but, but, but Bannon did call it. And he, he did call me back when he got campaign manager to go back over the Dave Brown race. So well, I really did get lucky in catching kind of the beginning of that populist wave, I think, you know, two years early there. Well, yeah. so 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 then I'm gonna go back to the question about: Do Republicans, do conservatives, need to be more strategic on candidates that not only can win and be conservative, but can keep the seat for a while, right? So you go and you have this big victory, and look, it's a, it's a, it was a big victory, but then an election later, he's gone. So, yes. <laughs> was the was the battle worth it? Because now we've lost this seat that probably. Cantor would probably been there another 10 years if he wanted to be, right? Now he's just making millions of dollars and having a good old time. He probably, he's probably grateful. He probably put you on his Christmas card because he's <laughs> having such a good life now. But you, you understand what I'm saying? It's sort of like, it's sort of like um, conservatives have this great talking point they love to say over and over. I'm going to read the Department of Education. There is never going to be 60 Ted Cruz's and Mike Lee's in the U.S. Senate. That Department of Education is going nowhere. And as much as Vivek likes to tell us he can just do an executive order, it ain't happening. What are your th- what are your thoughts? I mean, you're an old hand at this. You've done it a long time. You've had a lot of victories. Tell me where I'm wrong. Yeah, I, I think it's a very fair point. Um, I, I I would say that um, yeah, that district did change some. Maybe Cantor could have held it. I, I think it's another reason I take a couple of outside the box positions on how we do primaries. I mean, some of them aren't popular with conservatives, but if your next election is always about winning the ten percent in the primary. I think that can set you up, you know, for a tough one. Do you have a candidate who's not viable in a general election long term? So I think those are are very fair points. Um, And uh, who knows? You can't replay history. Would Cantor have still been around? Maybe would have. You know, my father was an American history teacher. Always told me no one ever thinks of the day after the revolution. (laughs) That's been an adage forever. (laughs) You know, it's great to win. (laughs) Victory night's great. (laughs) Oh, we got to rule things now. (laughs) You know, so I think uh, I think we had a recent example of that by Iraq. 
Yeah, a great example. It was sort of, was it, was it the candidate Robert Redford when he wins, he pulls his consultant and says, now what? Yes. We never really perfect. think about plan B, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Tell us, we got a minute left here before we take a break for the segment. Tell us a little bit about your group and where we can find you and how they can volunteer. Sure. It's takebackaction.org. So just three words, takebackaction. Stands for Take Back a Republic Action. So the Republic's a key part. just doesn't fit nicely in a URL. But uh, that's where people go. We set up state groups. You know, we're very grassroots oriented. So, you know, once we have a, a certain number in a state or area, we'll plan an event there and I think build out some solutions for real conservative reform. Fantastic. Fantastic. Folks, we're going to be coming back with more from John Pudner in just a moment. And then make sure you stay tuned uh, for our second two segments with Don Hawkins, CEO of the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. Tough discussion, but worth it, folks. So stay tuned. Breaking Battlegrounds, coming right back. Overstock. We know home is a pretty important place, and that's why we believe everyone deserves a home that makes them happy. Whether you're furnishing a new house or apartment, or simply looking to update and refresh a few rooms, Overstock has everyday free shipping and amazing deals on the beautiful, high-quality furniture and decor you need to transform any home into the home of your dreams. Overstock, making dream homes come true. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. We're going to be continuing on our interview with John Pudner here in just a moment. But folks, you've been hearing me talk about Why Refi for a while now. If you haven't been on their website, you need to do it. You need to go there and learn how you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. There are absolutely no fees. And if you ever need your money back, you can get it. 100% of your principal comes back to you. No questions asked. If you're not sure if you trust this economy, this secure collateralized portfolio may be a good option for you. Go to investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI24. Folks, Chuck and I don't endorse lightly. We highly encourage you to go check this product out. It is a fantastic opportunity. When you do it, you're actually helping them get students who have private student loans that have gone into default back on track with their lives. They're changing lives for the better, including yours when you make that 10.25% rate of return. Absolutely. We're back with John Pudner. Um, John, um, you have some ideas about campaign contribution reform and a system called the Final Five for future elections. So let's first start with campaign contribution reform. What are you proposing? I just think we have to conservatives be open to some kind of limits on contributions. You know, after Citizens United, everyone popped champagne bottles and said, hey, look, now conservatives have a huge edge, which they did for a handful of years. But any of us who've run campaigns know we're outspent three to one all the time now. 
So I just, I, I get nervous. People say we can't even talk about that. I mean, I, I know, you know, the people out there want to make lots of money on campaigns and for them, no limits is great, but, but yeah, it's, we're just being bludgeoned out there. And, you know, it didn't start turning about 2015, but I just think we need to be open and the idea that the legislature shouldn't have any ability, I, I think is a problem, even though I'm counter to most conservatives in my thinking on but, this. But if you're a king for the day, what would be your campaign contribution regulations laws? Mine is mainly a state's rights thing. I just think states should be able to frame their own and and you know, legislators should have that ability. And, and that's where I run counter to some who say, this is pure freedom, just to give you know, the devil's advocate, this is pure freedom of speech. This is another way of freedom of speech. And I understand that, but it, I just think it can be a little absolutist um, to where I'd like to see a legislature or Congress be able to talk through these. Not that Congress ever passes anything, but you know, at least be able to discuss John- it. I take a very different approach on this. Um, I see the same problem you do. And one of the things I've said is I think we should get rid of all of these PACs and outside organizations, but allow unlimited donations to the candidates directly with very quick disclosure, like 24 hours on anything over a certain amount, right? Um, And just make it very public. So if a candidate wants to take $10 million from, from a, you know, rich uncle, they're going to have to answer for that directly. They can't hide it behind a pack. I think you've got the best reform right there. If this were open up, we could do it. Absolutely. Because then you're actually accountable for the ads you run. Uh, you know, right now, the reason ads are so negative is because they're by third parties and they have no connection to the candidate. You know, we right. all know that. You know, when we had to go actually convince a candidate and sometimes the spouse to let us run something, you know, I hated it. But, you know, it probably was good tempering and tempering what you're getting hit back with. So I, I would be all for your proposal. If we could go unlimited, but yes, accountable for what's out there. It's got your paid for line on it and stop all the third party groups. You did a study um, a couple of years ago about Act Blue, about yes. campaign contributions. Do you want to give our folks a little bit more about what you found and what you think's happened since? Has it gotten worse? I think it's still bad. We we got some good attention to it during the 2020 race, but yeah, this was billions of dollars from Act Blue. Um, using a setup, the only setup I know of, where when you make a credit card contribution, they don't want your uh, CVV or address or anything. I mean, just the basic security anyone else would want when processing a credit card. And what we discovered is almost half of their donors did not listen employer, which says to me, Chinese programmer <laughs> putting money in. Because if you don't have to put anything on a credit card, you can do gift cards, you can move right. billions of dollars, et cetera. So I think it's money coming in from China. Now, we'll never know how much. Is that 3% of their billions? Is that 10%? I have no idea. But it's so easy. And Peter Schweitzer and I did an early study on that where a programmer told us after looking at one of their pages, Literally that night, he built a system that would have moved $10 million a day into an account if you just gave him money and, and fake American names. So it's part of us getting bludgeoned. I mean, there's obviously the Soros and the other money, but Act Blue is another reason we get just killed. Yeah, I, I have a hard time believing Democrats have that many <laughs> they don't white suburban women just sitting at the computer doing $2,500 contributions all day. Well, I mean, James O'Keefe did the the expose where he went, where he went to a to bunch of their houses door door. and was like, hey, according to the records, you've made 185 donations. And these folks are like, I've never given a dime. And, and what's amazing has been no follow-up on it. All right, let's go. We've our limited time left here. Let's talk about your final five 
for future elections. Explain to folks what you're thinking. How does that solve the problem? I was talking about the Cantor district. Let's just let's talk about it. Yeah. So I, I think you could argue that we'd have a 53-47 Republican Senate now if they came to a final five system. I wasn't for this until a couple years ago. But what's happening is the Democrats are spending more in our primary sometimes than we are. I mean, Pritzker spent $20 million on his Republican opponent's primary in Illinois to make sure he could beat them, you know, pick someone who's easy. Now that they basically are taking over our primaries, <laughs> I think you just have to open them up and say, hey guys, we're going to keep the top five candidates for either party, Republican, Democrat. You can do an extra independent, you know, or put them all in one or do an independent. I mean, the independent should have to get some votes too in a primary. They get a free ride on signatures. And then the issue some have is then at the very end, election day, you have a ranked ballot with those five. Now, some say anything that's ranked, you know, that's a big rallying cry now. I just argue this is so different than New York ranked choice voting, San Francisco ranked choice, Maine, where it was set up to stop a Republican. This is to make sure they don't eliminate our candidate in the primary with their money and that they don't then also get 3% to go to a conservative independent to siphon off our votes. They win 49-48, like Biden did in Wisconsin and Georgia. So I think it really works. Again, it's another thing. I just think Republicans have to be open to thinking of these ideas. Most would be against it flat out. You know, but, but, it, so no, let's, we got two minutes left here. But so, for example, was it ranked choice voting blame for the Democrats getting the House seat in Alaska? It was yeah, absolutely yes. the reason. So how do we answer that? Because we know that's a Republican state. It's not sure. Democrat. So what do we? What do we? How do we counter that? They game the system effectively, and we don't. When, well, we're, we're we not very that. smart. So. Well, I, I just argue they're <laughs> gaming the current system, and I'd argue that if our candidate has a sixty-some percent unfavorable in the state, we're going to have trouble. I, see, I just don't think Palin wins under I, any system. What I like, what I like, though, I see. I like the the top five thing, um, but I would go with just. Whoever gets the most votes out of that top five. I mean, yeah. the ranking is where I, I would think too. This goes. So, see, I would support the top five. You just took the most votes. But, but the problem is, if you run that model, the third, fourth, and fifth place in the Wisconsin gubernatorial or Constitution Party, pro life party, libertarian, guess what? They take 55,000 votes. Trump loses by 20,000 to Biden. That's my point. The third, fourth, and fifth votes are coming out of our bucket every time. I think this solves that. Well, this would be good for Vegas because they would love to see something like that. John Pudner, <laughs> thanks a million for joining us. Again, tell our folks how they get a hold of you and um, follow you. Sure. Best is takebackaction.org is the uh, best place to go. Just sign up there. Fantastic. Folks, check that out, takebackaction.org. Uh, Chuck is having to step out of the studio now, but we're going to be continuing on here with Don Hawkins, CEO of the National Center on Sexual Exploitation Maybe you've seen The Sound of Freedom recently and you're concerned about this issue. You're going to want to stay tuned for this discussion, folks. Breaking Battlegrounds, back in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds. Chuck Warren had to step out of the studio. He's got a meeting he couldn't get out of, so I've got this one... Not to myself, because fortunately, I still have Kylie Kipper in the studio with us. And joining us on the line right now, Don Hawkins, CEO of the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. Uh, Don, thank you so much for joining us today, because there's been a lot of a lot of things going on in the news about this right now. Um, there have been some, some pretty amazing revelations coming from uh, Pornhub and some of these, these, uh, these sites. Um, about how callous they are 
about knowing, frankly, that that women are being raped, young girls are being raped, and those videos are being used uh, on their site for profit. It, it it's really astounding when you see how the scope of this has expanded in recent years. So thank you for joining us today. We very much appreciate having you on the program. It's great to be with you both. So what I, I kind of led into it a little bit, but big tech is really changing the interaction of a lot of people's a lot of people with sex, with sexual imagery, and changed the nature of exploitation. It's made it remarkably easier to access. Kids are accessing it younger and younger. More and more people are being exploited for this industry. So what are, what are, what has been going on? Tell our folks some of the things that you've been dealing with. And and I think you mentioned in our, our, our pre-interview discussion that you're actually preparing a lawsuit on some of this stuff as well. Yeah, well, one thing that many people don't seem to quite understand until you tell them and they have an aha moment is that different forms of sexual abuse and exploitation have really merged in the online space. So prostitution and pornography and sex trafficking, for example, and child sexual abuse have really become one one entity, one thing. And we've got big websites who are facilitating and profiting from all of it together. Whereas, you know, pre-internet or early internet days, you would have like the prostitution fight, trafficking fight, and then the porn fight. And today it's just all become one. And what we're seeing in particular on these big pornography websites where anybody can upload anything is that they are just rampantly filled with child sexual abuse material or child pornography with rape videos, with um, kind of voyeuristic secret spy camera videos with revenge pornography and so much more they are not um checking the age or verifying the consent of those depicted and as a result thousands of people are being harmed and that trauma is having lifelong impacts on them how much is it different now because in some sense this is a little bit hard to hard for me and and i you know i wish chuck was here also because he's a few years older than i am but we both grew up in the era when pornography was a rack of magazines behind uh, black-covered plastic at, at the grocery store. Um, yeah. You didn't have this same level of, of instant access anywhere in the world. How much is this changing uh, children's interactions with each other sexually, with, with the world? Um, but also, how much is it damaging mm-hmm. their... Help you all understand too. Like, yeah, your first experience with pornography was probably like topless women. Today, that feels like relatively innocent. <laughs> but today, the 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 content that our young people are being exposed to first is generally what is being demanded of those who have like forty years of addiction problems. So, like the homepage of these pornography websites is is delivering up content for those who have been watching porn for decades now. So it's extremely intense and hardcore, extremely violent, seems like incest, race, extremely racist. And um, and that's what our young people are seeing first. It's impacting how they view themselves, how they view each other. There's a whole host of ways it's impacting their sexual development and their sexual template. And we have only about a minute and a half left before we go to break. We're going to be coming right back for the long segment. So folks, stay tuned uh, for more with Don Hawkins, CEO of the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. Uh, Don, real quick before we, we go into this commercial, how addictive is porn? 
I mean, you just kind of mentioned that that they're serving these kids are being served up a content that's for people who have been addicted to porn for decades. Uh, mm-hmm. We know that people get more and more radicalized, if you will, on on the type mm-hmm. of pornography they watch over time. How addictive is exactly. it? Exactly. I mean, it, it's different for everyone, but there are over 400 neurological studies now just since 2013 that show it follows the same addictive patterns as things like gambling or alcohol or drugs. And so there's not no longer a debate about whether it's addictive or not. Many of us have experienced you know, that dopamine rush and you just want more and more. Our kids can't control that reaction and they seek more. They're curious. They want their brains can't just decide to say no. Most adult brains can't decide to say no too. Yeah. it's Gosh, this is a, I, I'm looking forward to continuing this discussion here. We're going to break right now. Folks, make sure you stay tuned when we're coming back here. Uh, you can catch all our episodes at breakingbattlegrounds.vote. We're also available on all your favorite podcast platforms. We're going to be coming back with more in just a moment with Don Hawkins, CEO of the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. Be sure to stay tuned. At Overstock, we know home is a pretty important place, and that's why we believe everyone deserves a home that makes them happy. Whether you're furnishing a new house or apartment, or simply looking to update and refresh a few rooms, Overstock has everyday free shipping and amazing deals on the beautiful, high-quality furniture and decor you need to transform any home into the home of your dreams. Overstock, making dream homes come true. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Sam Stone. In the studio with me right now, Kylie Kipper, and on the line, Don Hawkins, CEO of the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. We're going to be continuing the conversation there in just a moment. But folks, we got to pay the bills also, and you do too, which means you should be going to check out our friends at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. It's a fantastic opportunity for you to earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. That's right, 10.25% fixed. The market can go up, the market can go down. Your returns stay steady. You can uh, choose to compound your interest. You can choose to take it as interest income. There is no penalty if you need your money back at any time. You can get 100% of your principal back. It's a fantastic opportunity. So again, check it out, investyrefi.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI24 and tell them Chuck and Sam sent you. Okay, continuing on, Don, as we start this discussion, and I want to get to some of the work you're doing to address some of these issues and try to fight back against these companies, um, but really, we started out this discussion kind of framing the scope of the problem, and and two statistics that I found are just astounding. Uh, 13% of all Twitter content is porn, and, and potentially up to 30% of all internet um, search activity or internet clicks are on porn sites. This is a massive, massive scope of activity, and, and, and that obviously means there's a huge amount of money behind it. And how much are these social media sites being used for grooming? How much are they being used as the hook to get kids onto these other platforms and other sites where they can be exploited or adults to go uh, use and view that content and pay for it. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say com- um, some of the social media websites like Discord, Twitter, Reddit, 
they actually allow pornography with their terms of service and their policies, their pornography sites themselves. Like there's just as bad of content, like you said, on Twitter. It's so full of it. Twitter is rampant, even with child sexual abuse material. We're actually suing Twitter on behalf of two 13-year-old boys whose um, sexual abuse and sex trafficking was filmed and uploaded to Twitter. And Twitter said they didn't have to take it down, even though they knew they were 13 years old. Um, so I, I really want to highlight that. Once Some good news we were seeing when you're talking about kind of the grooming to, to the pornography websites, but in December, we got together with like thousands of advocates, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok to completely shut down Pornhub and kick them off of their platforms. And they kicked off all the other mainstream pornography websites. There were 13 million followers on Instagram for Pornhub. They were like one of their best distribution partners and tons of them were kids. So getting that down has made a, a huge difference. And that's what we'll continue to do is, is pushing these big so mainstream social media companies to no longer allow our children to be exposed to sexually explicit content. But the problem also is that our kids are being groomed directly on these mainstream websites. Like the Twitter case I just told you about, those boys were first targeted on Snapchat. And then the exploitation moved over, stayed on Snapchat and moved over. We've got a, a number of our clients and survivors we know who were groomed initially on Roblox, which is an extremely prominent, popular game for kids. They have 12.8 million kids on their platform every day who are under age eight years old. And they allow adults to send private messages. They allow adults to directly friend, no matter if you turn on the parental controls, they still allow. So there's like thousands of cases of adults grooming children for sexually explicit sexual abuse. So and then it often moves over to these other so, sites. So this is a, a is roadblocks. This I, I'm not familiar with this this uh, site or platform at all. This is a game or thing, and then they're using like the mm -hmm. com the communications channels in that game. Yeah, it was a game made for kids initially. And there's like th anybody can make a game. These fantasy worlds, so you can go play. So there's a ton of these games that are sexually explicit themselves. You like go into a strip club. You go into a B BDSM place. And kids are going into them, right? And they're they, like these are, simulated in, these are in video games? <laughs> in video games meant for kids. This is like, this was initially made for kids under age 13. And there's millions and millions of kids on there. And now this game is trying to have an audience of adults, but they've made all their money because of their child users and they haven't created safe places. But what happens then is these adults will target kids there. They'll play with them. They'll tell them they're good. They'll give them coins to play. And that's how the grooming starts. They get their trust. Parents will think that they're just like one of our clients. The mother would just only let her 10 year old daughter play when she's folding laundry in the living room with her daughter right next to her. And yet her daughter was groomed and targeted by the worst of the worst humans that you could imagine. And she was horrifically exploited. Her exploitation was then moved over to Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter, where they got the girl to create child sexual abuse material. She, she became suicidal. It's so bad. And she's one of so many that we hear. I mean, almost every day I'm hearing it in this case that's almost the same. My, my complaint is, yeah, the big pornography websites are wreaking havoc and we're fighting them and we're seeing progress. But we have to go after the mainstream social media websites that are allowing our children to fall prey to so many predators and abuse. When, so you mentioned that you are working on a lawsuit against Twitter and some of these others. Um, 
what what can be done to fight back against this and to protect children? Yeah, you know, and, well, and adults too. But but obviously, I think most people, if we can start with protecting the kids, that's a pretty darn good step exactly. to start with. Mm-hmm. The lawsuits are opening up; they're bringing so much energy. So, all of you, I invite you to incur- to support the lawsuits if you feel like you know people who are potential plaintiffs. But also, we have this huge grassroots army going after these companies and demanding that they change just late last week snapchat announced massive changes on their platform to protect teens defaulting more to safety automatically for a young their younger users not allowing adults to send messages to them this is huge but it it's unfortunate that it takes thousands of us fighting for years but now we're finally seeing this change there's also some legislation there's huge legislation moving in the state and at the federal level there's one bill called the kids online safety act which has complete bipartisan support. I mean, when do our legislators agree on anything? But this is one. And it would create this like duty of care and minimum standards across the mainstream social media websites to prioritize child safety. So I urge you to ask you know, your members to support and vote yes on COSA and another one called Earn, the Earn It Act. What would, be some of, what would be some of those things that they could do, these steps that these companies could take? Wonderful. Well, and the initial, like the most, the easiest one is stop allowing adults to interact with our children. Stop allowing them to send private, direct messages. That's the worst, worst. Another is to give us, give us as parents, I'm a mom of five. I care so much. I want to protect my kids, but I have almost no tools because it takes 31 steps on Apple to turn on the parental control. That's ridiculous. On Roblox, if I want to turn it on, I could turn on all the parental controls, but people can still friend my child. So as parents, we don't have the power and the tools that we need. So beg, help me beg tech to give us as parents the tools to protect our kids. And and I assume if people go to your organization's website, they, they can learn about how to participate and how to help both, you know, doing all of this kind of stuff you just mentioned in terms of if there are victims out there that can be brought forward, um, but also in terms of putting pressure on these tech companies. Um, so how do they find find you and your work on online? Ah, thank you. I forgot to say. It's at nsexualexploitation.org, and you can find a whole bunch of actions. There's over 80 things. And we've set up these accounts so you can send petitions and emails directly to the executives. They hate it, but then they change and they listen, so... Oh, that's fantastic! I, one of the things that came out that that occurred to me as you're you're doing this and saying, "Hey, we shouldn't be able to send messages to to kids. Adults shouldn't be able to send messages to kids," which is perfect common sense to me. I don't know. I can't think of one good reason any strange adult would it want it would have for interacting with any child online ever. Exactly. I mean, quite frankly, I there's exactly. no there's no excuse for that. But how do we stop somebody? from going on and creating an account as a 12-year-old. Um, you know what? People think that, but I've been meeting with Instagram and Snapchat quarterly for like six years now, and they can detect age lying to like 99% accuracy. Really? So why are they not doing that across the board? So the technology is so good. They know. They know based on your actions on other websites and the type of language you're using. They could cut that down tremendously if they enforce that kind of rule. And to me, I think a lot of it is we have to start creating financial disincentives for these companies, like through lawsuits and through laws. (laughs) I mean, at the end of the day, you know, 
I guess part of my concern here is that so many of these businesses now have relocated overseas into jurisdictions which they believe will protect them from U.S. law enforcement and from others. But they are still dependent economically on a lot of activity that occurs in this country that we could regulate, right? Exactly. Here's something so encouraging. We went after the, the payment how Pornhub was making money. We went to MasterCard, Visa, Discover, um, and PayPal, and they all cut ties with Pornhub. Now you can only use cryptocurrency on their site. They laid off 80% of their employees because since the credit cards cut. And, and so that's exactly what we should do. We have to go after their advertisers, their partners. We've gotten Kraft Heinz, Wish, a whole bunch to stop running ads. That's 50% of their revenue. That's what's making a huge difference. So we're, that's why we started these lawsuits. It was like not enough to have the public shaming and we need to hit them where it hurts, which is the pocketbook. And we're winning, even if the com- companies are located overseas. So far, the lawsuits we filed are moving forward in the courts. So Very nice. Okay. So... Honestly, this is a a lot of this is kind of hard for me to understand because it's such a different (laughs) world from the one that I grew up in and and the one I think a lot of adults grew up in. Um, You know, but but one of the things that I think is difficult in in this fight is that a lot of parents don't realize how much their child is being exposed to every day online. Um, I, one thing I've become sort of fascinated with, I, I, I really love the the exploding podcast space uh, that's out there in the world because I think you have a lot of discussions that are really interesting happening between people who, you know, I, I would never hear from otherwise, everyday type folks who are, are on these things. And for the first time in the last 20 plus years, I, I've seen this sort of shift where there are young people who are pushing back against this, you know, sexual culture, exploitation culture that has developed. How much do we need to focus on trying to educate, inform parents, inform children, get them involved in actively understanding the risks that are out there and what that may mean for their life if they're exploited or and exposed to this type of material? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I just see like the hope, the hope that I see abroad is is the voice of our youth because I'm talking to, I'm getting calls from them every day who are, they're outraged that adults have allowed this to happen to them. And they're the ones who are like coming with me to Snapchat and Instagram and TikTok demanding better. And that is what's changing everything. And I, I just think, yeah, the, the answer is with parents. Let's get mad. And let's demand better. Not only just like awareness and information, but we can change and demand a better world. These tech platforms are changing quickly. Like earlier this year, Google with like massive campaign again for years, they decided to blur all sexually explicit photos and videos that come up in Google search, Google images. I mean, how many kids first see hardcore violent pornography because of Google image search? Something innocent. But it was parents and kids who forced Google to do that. So I just think we need awareness, but we need to move them to action. And they are ready to act because they're outraged about what's happening to their family. Okay, we have just about one minute before we come to the end of the program on air here. 
Uh, Don, again, please give folks the information on how they can follow you and all of your work, because I think it's so important that especially parents and kids, they connect with you and what you're doing so, so they can help participate in this fight. So great. Well, I ask you all to follow us on social media. Our email, we send like an email every week with actions you can take, like going right after these companies and looking for legislation. So go to insexualexploitation.org and join me. We need you. And folks, we're going to share all of that information via the Breaking Battlegrounds social media sites. So if you're following us, you'll have those links right there so you can get a hold of Dawn and her organization and help get involved in this fight because right now we are allowing things to happen to our children that we should be very grateful didn't happen to all of us out there who are a little bit older. Breaking Battlegrounds, be sure you tune in for the podcast segment. Welcome to the podcast segment of Breaking Battlegrounds. We are going to launch with our new feature from the irrepressible Kylie Kipper. It is Kylie's Corner. My favorite time. What have we cornered today? All right. So first, um, (laughs) Chuck's laughing. I don't know why. Because you're fired up. You're fired up. Go ahead. I'm fired up. Well, a couple weeks ago, there was an airport employee that fired me up, speaking of. Oh, what happened? Um. They were just rude for no. It's Atlanta Airport, which I feel like everyone there is kind of rude. So that just fired. They me actually up. are yeah. very rude in Atlanta yeah. Airport. You know where they're really nice at? Phoenix. They are actually well. They're very nice at Phoenix. Um, Atlanta, though, that's kind of an Atlanta thing. Like it's not the rest of Georgia. It's it's sort of interesting to me when you're there. Like Atlanta is totally rude, and the rest of Georgia is like super polite. Bless your heart. Because Southern charm's real. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Go ahead, Kylie. Well, anyway, so then that just kind of fired me up about. Um, airports in general, then I saw a news headline that said Delta worker accused of stealing $258,000 in a bag from JFK, which I went to look further into this. And it's kind of funny. They got caught because they left in the getaway car. They left the bag tag because the person had checked this money. So they left the bag tag in the back of the car. Anyways, then I see another report of two TSA agents who were accused of stealing money in the Miami airport. This was just reported on either yesterday or the day before. Um, which then I was like looking into it. I'm like, how often does this occur of them either stealing money or any kind of misconduct? Because I was looking into their punishment and one of the guys pled guilty saying they stole him and another guy stole more than a thousand dollars a day. So he pled guilty to this. Wait, how, how were they doing this? Is so this in, they were is in, this the bag in the line. back in baggage or is this in out front at like the TSA check? This line? is out front in front of us. We're putting our, you know, we're taking our personal bag off and putting it through TSA and they're taking cash out of it. And they said up to $1,000 a day of just taking cash out of people's bags. What? Yeah. 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 So, and his one guy pled guilty, the other guy hasn't. So his punishment is not known yet. Uh, known yet. Yeah. However, the guy that pled guilty is due to pay the victim $700, two different victims, $700 in total with 25 hours of community service. So that was his punishment for this. He probably still has his job, too, because he's a government worker. Probably, yeah. So I look into this, and there hasn't been much reporting since um, 2016 on misconduct for TSA agents specifically. Gee, I I wonder why. But since um, since 2012, misconduct – or 2002 to 2005, so three years, the misconduct increased 28%. Then I found another study from 2013 to 2015 where – those three years, again, it increases 28%. So I'm assuming this is probably 
an increasing well, here, topic of every year it's probably increasing. Well, here's an interesting number. Um, loose change scooped up by TSA officials in 2019 was $926,000. I mean, that's what they reported. Oh. Right? <laughs> yeah. And then during the pandemic, 2020, it was $517,000. Again, that's what's reported. You know, and look, I would say a majority of the TSA folks are honest. I don't want to do that. But you know there are some sticky fingers there, right? It's human nature. We deal with it all the time in business. There's somebody has sticky fingers and probably, I don't know, small percentage does it. It, it, it is, and it's hard. to. I know from, from Phoenix, it's really hard to hire for those TSA positions because they're not good jobs, right? What do they pay like, an hour? I, they tend to be in the 18 to 20 bucks an hour type oh. range. I mean, you know, it's not – you can get more if you're a supervisor, that kind of right. thing. But the frontline workers are not paid that much from the TSA. And dealing with a lot of grumpy people, which yeah. makes you more inclined saying, I deserve this, right? right? Because they're such jerks I'm dealing with daily. Right. And, and, and you know, look, I, I think it's two-sided. I think TSA has been a mess since its inception. If you go – one of my complaints – I know you travel a lot more than I do, but one of my complaints, Chuck, is that – Every bloody airport, the rules in that line are different or are interpreted differently. It depends. It depends on the supervisor. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it really does. So, well, Kylie, I understand. So what, what was your experience, though, that set you yeah. off with this? Oh, my experience. Oh, my gosh. So the guy. <laughs> <laughs> I totally wa- lost track. <laughs> I wanted to upgrade my seat because, you know, when I'm buying my ticket, I'm like, I'll suck it up and just sit in the very back. But then when it comes to it, I'm like. I need a little, I'm tall. I'm six foot, six feet tall. So I need some extra leg room. So I went up and I was like, can I pay to have a better seat? And the guy's like, no, I'm assigning right now. And I'm like, well, I could still do it on the app. So technically I could buy it right now on the app and have it done. He's like, no, that's not happening. Whatever. I was like, okay, fine. I'll accept it. I get it. And then he's like, if you check your bag early, you can board earlier. So I was like, oh, at least I'll get on the plane, whatever. So I offered to check my bag early. And he's like, I need to scan your ticket. So he scans my ticket and goes, oh, great. He throws his arms up. He's like, you started the check-in process. I was like, I did what? And he's like, you started the check-in process. Now I have to call the tower. Just go stand over there against the wall. I was like, you scanned my ticket. I was like, okay. So then he's like over. He's like on the phone. He's like, I'm on with the control tower. I was like, sorry. And he goes, what did you say? I said, sorry. Like, I didn't start. I don't know what you're talking about, dude. I don't know how to start the check-in process. Like, and he well, just put the whole blame on me. I checked my bag early. <laughs> never let me board early. I boarded with my group, and I was just like, wait, wait. Also, okay, okay. This guy, I'm calling bull. Uh, Thank God this is the wait. This is the podcast this segment. Podcast I can say it. I'm calling bullshit. Yeah, you're not on with the fucking control oh, tower oh, over would, somebody's bag. And he's like looking at me like. I'm on with the control tower. I was like, and then he yelled at this like little old couple because they had their tickets switched. And I'm like, and he's like, everyone have their correct ticket. And I'm like, dude, why are you yelling at everyone? Like they're two little old couple. They're like 80 years old. And they had the, like, they're standing next to each other. It really doesn't matter if their tickets are switched. Yeah, who cares? Two tickets right there. They they made it through TSA. Yeah. Like what is your issue now? (laughs) They made it past. Now we have to face a whole nother group of people. Yeah. So, you know, this might be a longer investigation for me because it does say (laughs) over half of TSA employees have a misconduct report on their like. Well, again, if they're not paying them that much and I bet the training is not great and that's too bad. I mean, if you're going to do it, they should be trained better and they should be paid better. Yes. Right. But but misconduct report may also be a little bit misleading because, because it could be anybody complaining about something. Yeah, and especially because they're doing the pat downs and all that kind of thing. Yeah, the number that's true. of the number of BS complaints 
and allegations that are going to get thrown at them are just enormous. I mean, you got failure. I get through. I get a pat down as much as I, you know, 200,000 miles a year. I get pat, pat down three, four times a year, right? And I have always felt they were very, do you want to go somewhere else? Do you, I mean, I, I think they go through all the proper training on that. I've never I, felt like they're taking advantage. I've of never it. felt. the weirdos. I have never felt uncomfortable <laughs> about it at all. I just like, um, do it in front of everybody. Right. Let's just do it. Yeah, don't bring right. me to a room. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, don't put me in a room. <laughs> um, let's talk about, we're going to get back more to Kylie and her complaints about life here briefly. Um, let's talk about, so as you know, um, Hunter Biden was indicted this week on three guard, three gun charges. The amazing thing is David Weiss, who is now the special prosecutor, <laughs> He dwaddled so much on this that they now can't indict for the tax things because or the irregularities because of the statute limitations. Well, that was intentional. Very much so. Yeah. And so when people, Democrats say, well, look, they're indicting. But no, they've done every charge that could be connected to President Biden. And again, I don't know if he's guilty or not. Right. But. You know, and Democrats try to make a point. He, he, there's no evidence that he took money personally. That's true. There hasn't been any money. But we know this. You know, there's many times I have worked and sent projects to a well, former employee or somebody to benefit them. There's no different. Look, when you're taking care of a family member, you're taking care of yourself. Well, but, but also, I, I would say that there actually is. I, I think Democrats are lying about that because there's numerous evidence from Hunter's laptop where he complains to other family members about having to pay for the family, including right. his father's. And the press always seems to omit that in any write-ups. Right. I mean, I think Joe Biden's shady. Period. I, I don't think there's any question. I think he's always been shady. I yeah. think he is old school Chicago politics, you know, grease each other's hands. He, he is he is a liar. He is corrupt. I don't think there's any question about these things at this point. I mean, this man, he's also not here with us anymore. I mean, no, no. you know, that that uh, press conference that they held in Thailand was so embarrassing. I mean, if you're a a China, North Korea, Russia, you're looking at that and laughing and just planning your next uh, aggressive steps because you have no fear of this president. Exactly. 100 percent. And I, what was it? There was an article this week by a former conservative who Trump broke. Um, what is her name? I'm trying to think. Um, Mona Sharin. Remember her? Oh, She's yeah. Yep. Um, she <laughs> she came out this week and said, the White House and his handlers are doing a misservice by not having him out there more. He's absolutely <laughs> fine. So people just jumped all over him. And uh, I loved your response on Twitter, by the way. Yeah, and, and, and Charlie Sykes, who is a bulwark, who used to be a very prominent conservative talk show host in Wisconsin, Ron Johnson can give a lot of his credit to being elected Senate, Charles. He even says she must be smoking something, you know, and I... <laughs> Well, maybe it's reverse English because it's like you said, absolutely. Let's send him out there. Let's no basement campaign and then let's see where this ends up. Well, I talked to a friend that used to be in this anti-Trump group, still doesn't love Trump, but he's just realizing he he is realizing dealing with these characters that a lot of them become grifters, that Mm -hmm. there's no ideological anchor to them. And so he's flipped back. I mean, and he's very upset about it. Right. Um, Still doesn't like Trump, thinks he's corrupt, blah, blah, blah. But it's like I'm not doing this this path again. Right. Biden's horrible. Right. And he, I asked him about it because he knows her, and he's in the think tank business out there. And he said, "Chuck, it's just groupthink. 
They just they they don't they're not they're not venturing outside. It's their little think tank, Georgetown cocktail circuit, and they just all talk to each other about the evilness of Donald Trump, and therefore it shades everything. And he goes he goes and he goes I think he goes I think Mona is a really honest person. But this has just gone too far. I think even on our side, too, that there's not just a lot of truth to that, but there's a lot of truth to the fact that the people in that circuit on both sides of the aisle have no connection or experience with middle America. No, no, no. It, it almost – you can't make a law, but it almost should be a law that if you're at work in D.C. for a period of time, you have to go live somewhere in a middle America for four years and get a different job and meet people. I, it would help tremendously. It would help everything. And yeah. it was the same thing for our side as well. Um, okay, there was an interesting thing that popped up on Bloomberg this morning. Cocaine is set to become Colombia's main export, overtaking oil as production of their narcotic ex- continues to expand as the government take a more lenient policy regarding drugs. I, You know, I, we have our group chat with friends and the thing was, this seems like such an 80s problem. It's not. I mean, it's amazing how much drugs have just become common practice now in America and Europe and elsewhere. Well, absolutely. And, and you know, I actually kind of tie this back to the discussion we had in the on-air segment with Dawn Hawkins. Um, you know, one of her solutions in dealing with the trafficking issue is that you have to be tougher on the buyers. 100%. Right? Um, you have to be tougher on the buyers. One of the things, and politically this is a hot potato, nobody wants to touch it, but the only way, given the financial incentive for drug trafficking, the massive profit margins, the fact that the losses they take to Border Patrol and and Mm -hmm. law enforcement are just tax. That's a tax. That's no different than Microsoft paying their tax to to the governments of the world for these, these organizations. The only way you reduce demand is by targeting the purchasers, the consumers, and making it inconvenient, uncomfortable, and disagreeable. Well, it's interesting. I had dinner last night with an acquaintance of mine, a friend I've known for a decade, and had not seen him in a while. And so he had been in Georgia and moved back to Utah to be CMO of a solar company. Things were booming. He was there three months. And then the owner, the founder, died in a fast food parking lot of a fentanyl overdose. Man. And, you know, the money came. He started doing drugs, the pressure, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, de- obviously devastated his wife. Company closed down, devastated people's jobs, yada, yada. We talk about this a little bit. We have to get point back to the point. You know how you stop a lot of fentanyl deaths? And I hate to generalize things, but this is a pretty good generalization. Don't take drugs. Right. I mean, you know, if you don't take drugs, you're probably not going to die of a fentanyl overdose. Well, but, but that's where I'm getting at. Yeah, is, yeah is, I mean, you got to like, punish these users. Right. we, we, we got to stop slapping the rest. So in these numbers from Bloomberg, cocaine export revenues jumped $18.2 billion in 2022, not far behind oil exports of, oil exports of $19.1 billion. It, it's astounding the scope of this global business. I mean, it's really astounding. Colombia's cocaine output surged to a record 1,738 tons last year. While the amount of land planted with cocoa, the raw material for making the drug, rose 13% to 570,000 acres. Well, <laughs> one, you know, that actually brings up a point that one of the few effective programs we've ever had was the program we had for years where we would just send uh, crop dusters over yes. there and spray the crops, yep. right, and kill them. 
uh, that wasn't the most environmentally conscientious thing. But then again, cocaine production is like the least environmentally conscientious thing on the planet. It uses a ton of really nasty chemicals, which are then just dumped into the ground after they're done, right? Um, so these coca plantations are actually mm-hmm. contributing to groundwater contamination throughout Latin America. They're contributing to all these other problems that people on the left say they care about. Right. And they don't. And they don't. And and this is what you see. There's a really easy answer, Chuck. If if someone's caught using drugs, I don't want them to have their life destroyed by the criminal justice system, but they should have to go through extensive counseling, tra- you know, um, drug abuse training, and then they should have to do a bunch of community service. Well, remember, you're old enough. When we took driver's ed in high school, they would make you sit down for an hour and watch the video, the, the, the film. It wasn't video, film. I, I of, don't all even... the, of all the traffic accidents. <laughs> yeah. Did you, were you old enough for that? Um, yes, but I do not want to tell you. My driver's ed teacher was a former race car driver <laughs> who had privileges at the local track. Uh-huh. So that's where we did our, <clears throat> quote, Train driver's driving. ed training, which was all at 120 miles an hour plus. Yeah, but you're probably more safe on the road knowing how to do it. I actually am. I, no, I mean, no. Yeah, no, it's he, very true. It's he very produced true. a lot of good drivers. Anyway, um, let's talk about Susanna Gibson of Virginia, who's running for state Senate. It's a swing district. Um, She and her husband, and I'm going to blame Bidenomics for this, because they needed extra cash, decided to do free, not free, sex shows, and people would pay and say, we want you to do this. And they had 5,000 subscribers. So it has come out, which, my, my first question is, why would you think that not comes out? Oh, yeah, you should. That's ridiculous, Kylie. I mean, I mean, I mean come on. It's ridiculous. I mean, so she's doing that. So now she's using, and this is what I want to talk about that her privacy, <laughs> <laughs> that somehow her privacy has been destroyed. Yeah, see, this is the thing that gets me. You sold yeah. sex shows. And by the way, the Washington Post is the one that broke this. So right. just yeah, so not for even all, the opponent. So for all you liberals think this is from like the Free Beacon or Gateway Pundit, this is from the Washington Post, right? Yeah. Who felt it was newsworthy enough for a Democrat who they probably want to win saying, well, you know, this is your background. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it, why would you run? She did this in the fall of 2022. Why? My recent, question is, yeah. why would you run? Well, here's my thing. You have skeletons in your closet. Why are you running if you don't want them out? This is right. This is interesting because it ties to, again, what we talked about with Don Hawkins um, on the show. But, you know, I don't get why her reaction is what it is, because at the end of the day, if she just came out and said what you said, look, this is my, you know, inflation, economics are killing me. We had to make extra money to make ends meet. This is what we did. I'm not ashamed of it. That's not going to hurt her that much with voters in this time. No. But to me, what bothers me listening to this is her trying to play the victim card on this thing. You're not a victim. You were trafficking yourself. Mm -hmm. You don't get to play the victim card. She's an adult woman. And, you know, and, and they're saying it's revenge porn. How, I don't understand. Maybe I don't understand revenge porn enough. But revenge porn is something that two people do. That one does not consent, the other one given away. Yes. When you do sex acts for people to pay and see on the internet, 
the how, more money how that is, was paid. How was that revenge poor? Is, oh, yeah. is that what it was? More money? The, the more money that was paid, the more acts they would perform. Yeah, they so, soli- so like they were oh, like, really? if you pay me yeah. $50 instead of 20 well, you can see this instead, whatever it was. Right, yeah. and, sh- and on these shows, from what I understand, she's constantly pushing people to pay tokens that they buy for cash, whatever, to increase the explicitness. Yeah, so she was asked, she actually the- got kicked off the app because she was getting tips. She was asking for tips on top of the whatever tokens. they were. Yeah, so she the, broke the she broke she the broke rules the, of that. Yeah. Well, apparently the rules don't apply to her. This is a swing district which Governor Yunkin won fifty one point two percent to forty eight point three percent. The those races are in November for control of the state house and senate there. So watch this one, folks. But again, you have a person who doesn't understand privacy or what revenge porn is at all. Not at all. And for a last little item on our podcast portion today, the UAW, United Auto Workers, has gone on strike at three plants. This may be bored. There's 150,000 United Auto Workers. Um, This is not going to be good for the economy. And they wanted 36% pay raise, (laughs) cost of living adjustments, more paid time off, and higher retirement contributions. So here's something that has happened and obviously the UAW has always had a leading role mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. union politics mm-hmm. in general right but one of the things i think is if you look at all these these movements these labor movements where they're trying to unionize like fast food workers and all these kinds of things they're not looking at this the way traditional private unions have which is to say you know look listen there's x amount of profit in this company you're making so much more at this point. We want a bigger slice of that profit. Right. And understanding that if you demands get too high, you're going to harm the business. You're going to end up with fewer workers. Eventually, they may go out of business. Look at all the factories like Elon Musk's, like Toyota's, where they cannot get union union certification because the employees understand they don't want to be part of, of this type of movement. It is going to be painful. It is going to hurt. We have just gotten to a place where car prices have started to normalize again after all the uh, disruptions to the economy. This is just stupidity, what they're asking for. Well, and you saw California pass this week that the minimum wage for fast food workers is $20 now. $20. Which, you know what, I actually, we were talking about this. Uh, uh, some folks know I, I do a weekly turn on a local radio show here in Phoenix in the afternoons. And we were talking about this a little bit. Franchises are the number one, still the number one way that most entrepreneurs start a business. More right. entrepreneurs start their first business as a franchise than anything else. And especially true, that's especially true in minority communities. Yes. Minorities have really benefited from the franchise system. There's a lot of very, you know, of wealthy black and Latino Americans who have started out with a McDonald's franchise or yes. a Wendy's or a Burt, whatever it is, right? Um, I and, and those people are independent. They don't need government to survive. And Democrats, I truly believe, have are full-on communists at this point. They do not like individual business, or, or maybe fascist, the Mussolini version. Well, Kylie, look up, more accurate. look up how many minority owners there are of fast food franchises. I bet it's one of the biggest pathways it's, to it's, financial independence for the minority communities. It's in been States. a long time since I've looked at those statistics, but it's enormous. I so, mean, it really is a, a launching point. It, so regarding the strike, it will cost more than $5 billion over 10 days. The UAA wants a 30, again, they want a 36% pay increase, 
and a return to traditional pensions. And you and I have discussed about this. So the UA is probably saying, look, retirement's getting higher. It's, you know, Social Security doesn't cover enough. I get, I, I would get why they would fall more on the sword for the traditional pensions versus the 36%. I actually do too. I mean, that's the one. If I was a union, I would say, I want the traditional pension back. I get that. If I were the business, I would say, hell no, but I'll give you all the 401k money you want. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, would you find that? Yeah, your question, well, the answer is 55% are white, so that would remain. 45%. 45%, which is higher than the- And those franchise owners, you know, once you own a couple of those things, you're doing very well. Yeah. 18.5 are Hispanic. So it'll be interesting to see if it goes up $20, how much it increases prices for a, a value meal, right? And then how many people just stop- Stop eating there. I know well, people who used to you know, go for lunch once a week, but they said they cut it down once a month. So so I forget what jurisdiction it was. One of those, you know, around New York, it might have been uh, might have been Manhattan, but I don't think so. We're talking about they had instituted a minimum $20 wage, right? Right. And a reporter recently went out to a Taco Bell for lunch. Okay. For himself only. His tab at Taco Bell was $28. What did he order at Taco Yeah, what Bell? the heck did he, he order? He ordered one of their normal combos large size. Oh, see, I get the medium size. So I went this week to- <laughs> Watching my girlish figure. I went to, well, I mean, every so often you're hungry and you're just running around. I don't do it much. I probably eat fast food two times, maybe three a month. Depends how much I'm traveling, right? right. But I think I went to In-N-Out and like the meal was- Eleven twenty-three. It's just a basic medium meal. Well, so I, I can report on this as the fat guy in the room, <laughs> um, who goes to fast food much more than Chuck, although less, much less than I used to. But here's the thing: so In and Out and Sonic and Chipotle and Canes and um, uh, Chick Fil A have not ra- really raised their prices much during this pandemic. You know, mm-hmm. from starting from 2020, everyone else has raised them. By 50% or more. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Well, folks, thank you for joining us in the podcast portion today. And, of course, Kylie's Corner. Next week, she will have a rant about something, I'm sure. Are you traveling this week? Nope. Okay, so it won't be about TSA. Anyway, um, <laughs> you can visit and see our podcast on breakingbattlegrounds.vote. You can also go to anywhere you listen to your podcast. Please share with your family and friends. I actually had somebody tell me last night, I really like your show. It's funny. It's the first time I've heard someone tell us funny, but I like it. So thank you very much. And um, we do our best to, do our to best. not make this boring. Yes, exactly. And we hope you have a great week. And again, visit us at breakingbattlegrads.vote and share. Thanks a million. <laughs>